Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 291 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. If you're listening, hoping to hear good news about the Blue Devils, uh, you will not be hearing much of it here. Um, we are recording the morning after the Blue Devils lost to North Carolina. Um, I don't even want to say the score. It, was, it wasn't good. It wasn't competitive. The game was not close. <laughs> but it is our job to come on and chat with all of you about it. I am Jason Evans. I will be your guide, your Sherpa through the wilderness of Duke on a three-game losing streak at the end of the season here. Joining me, as always, Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. How are you feeling this morning, Donald? I'm not feeling great about the game. I am feeling great about the fact that I watched Coming to America twice so far this weekend. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the first time and enjoyed it just as much the second time. Very nice. Very nice. Sam Klein. Sam, what's, uh, what, what's on your plate? If we're doing TV that we watched this weekend that wasn't Duke, I finally started Homeland this weekend for the first time. That's fun. Yeah, I haven't seen. I've only seen certain episodes. I did finish One Division. For those of you who love One Division, absolutely yes. a great. Yeah, I'm very, great, I'm, great I'm, I'm not going to get to that one for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you haven't watched the like certain movies in in the MCU, you should probably watch those movies first and then get to One Division. But once you do, you'll be glad you did. I tried a- powering through the Marvel Cinematic Universe during quarantine over the last like couple. I guess I, I, it took me like a few weeks going through it, and I bailed before I got to uh, what's the? It's not Endgame. What's the one before Endgame? Infinity War. Infinity <laughs> War. I bailed before I got there because if you watch the Marvel movies, it turns out are not very bingeable because all the plots are exactly the same. So <laughs> it's really tough. It, like like they're all fun movies. But I think it made sense that they all came out, you know, eight Years to 12 and- months apart from each yeah. other, because it's like, that's about the amount of time that I need to recover from one and kind of forget <laughs> a little bit about it before watching the next one. When you watch them all consecutively, like I was trying to do, I was like, ah, the continuity errors and the and the derivative nature of them. It's just like it's too much. It's not like it wasn't written to be watched this way. So I, mm-hmm. I need to like take a break. So that I can come back and like watch another one in, in you know and, in like three months. Can can I ask where you bailed? Which which one did you get through? Uh, I watched Winter Soldier. It's like somewhere in that lead up to Infinity so War. Winter Soldier, Civil gotten. War kind of area. Did you get to yeah. Civil War? I no, I have not watched Civil War yet. I watched both Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Uh, I also I also fa- let's just be entirely off topic today because we don't <laughs> I, I, I don't know why we need to talk. We're about delaying. That. We're just delaying. I did find I do find that like the the. MCU has too many, too many characters in space that where we just drop in at the beginning of a movie and like I have no context for why we're in this planet zone dimension or whatever. And so it takes me a while to like get into it. So anyway, the whole point is it's going to take me a while to get to WandaVision. I'm just now starting Homeland, which everyone's been watching for years. So I, I will tell you uh, regarding Homeland, the first two seasons, I did the first two seasons. Great. I then I then bailed on Homeland. I haven't seen the final few seasons of Homeland. And as long as you guys are talking about... It's eight about, seasons long. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. Uh, as long as you're talking about shows that people pick up, uh, I'd say about three weeks ago or so, my wife and I, after winning all the awards and everyone talking about it, we finally said, we should try out Shit's Creek. We'd never seen Shit's Creek. And like at first I was like, eh, I'm not so sure. We're, we're at the point where we're, we're, we're about to finish. We're about two episodes from being done. We're at the point now where we're basically doing three episodes of Shit's Creek at night. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of commitment. Yeah, we're, we're killing on that one. It's great. It's fun. It's very funny. All right. We have so, to talk about basketball. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So that diversion. Can I, tell you about, can I tell you about how I've been watching Shameless? That's also great. <laughs> Love that program. <laughs> 
putting all of that aside, we do actually need to talk about uh, Duke basketball. We should probably, in the description for this podcast, for this episode, tell people, if you want to fast forward to whatever minute this is, this is probably, probably the four-minute mark or something like that, that's when we actually start talking about basketball. We need to talk about Duke's game against Carolina last night. And, and I, I, I want to preface with this. We got an email from Jonathan Bowe who said he was eager to hear Jason Evans, a Jason Evans rant about our effort against North Carolina. And I wrote back to Jonathan and I'll, I will tell you what I told him, which is I, I just don't have it in me anymore. Um, I, I, I've been considerably more subdued since the loss to Louisville. And I remember remain that way here. I am sort of resigned that this team is what it is and hoping it'll be more than what it is, is not going to make it more than what it is. So let's, let's begin with our headlines from this Carolina game. Um, a loss that probably puts Duke in a situation where the odds of making the NCAA tournament are almost almost nil. It's basically win the ACC tournament, uh, maybe maybe make the finals and, and get a bid, but probably win the ACC tournament the way Duke has been playing lately. So let's start with our headlines. Sam, I'll go to you first. What's your headline from this game? I had up and down regular season and decidedly down for Duke. Yep, that's, that's pretty accurate, Donald. And, and, and I was thinking, by the way, when I wrote that headline, I was thinking about that weird uh, graphical interlude that ESPN put up last night showing Duke's record throughout the season where it was like going up and down and they were under 500 and then they were back over. And I thought it was particularly fitting that Duke ends the regular season at exactly 500 after after all that up and down this season. Donald, what's your headline? My headline is simply terrible. That works. My headline is no heart, no hope. Duke seems like a team ready to end it all. Um, and and by the way, you know, uh, one thing I really wanted to mention very quickly before we get into the good and the bad, uh, we heard Jay Billis on the broadcast talking about the ACC tournament a little bit. And he said that there are some teams that seem like they're exhausted. They're just tired from the season and 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 that it doesn't maybe seem like their effort or hearts are in it for the ACC tournament. Now, he wasn't talking specifically about Duke or Carolina. He was talking about the ACC in general. I, I think he was sort of talking about Duke. <laughs> I have little doubt that we are a team who seems like our heart isn't really in it. And I don't mean to imply that the players don't have heart or that they weren't trying or anything like that. I mean, we can get into effort if you guys want to. But but I think this this season has unquestionably been a truly bizarre one. And some teams have dealt with it better than others. And I think this Duke team has really struggled to deal with it. Guys, let's start with the good, though. Give me, give me some good from this game. What are things that you saw that, that give you some hope? Uh, well, the hope is Mark Williams. Uh, I thought he was great the last night. He was one of our bright spots on offense. I know you guys will talk about a couple others uh, on the offensive end. Uh, but Mark Williams, you know, was very active. He was trying to get involved on defense. It was a, li- a little bit more of a challenge for him last night uh, on defense. But on offense, he, you know, when we needed points in, in the paint, he was able to get them. Uh, he had 18 points. The only reason it wasn't a career high is because he had 20 uh, against Georgia Tech. So uh, I think that was uh, one of the bright spots for us. He was uh, through the end, all the way until the end, he was a guy that was able to uh, really provide points for us. Yeah, I agree that Mark Williams was some of the good. He didn't seem intim- intimidated or, or even outclassed by the Carolina big men, and, and that's not an easy thing to do. Carolina big men are really good, and I thought last game against them, Mark Williams didn't seem like he, he really was able to compete with them as well as he did this time. Like you said, he mentioned he led the team in scoring. Uh, and by the way, 
after struggling at the free throw line, he hit four out of five free throws in this game. So it's good to see that from him. Um, his late season surge remains a real thing. And, uh, but I do want to point out the interest of fairness regarding Mark. I've spoken extensively about Duke being better when Mark Williams is on the floor. And I've pointed to his plus minus num- numerous times to show this. In the interest of fairness, I have to point out that Mark Williams had far and away the worst plus minus on the Duke team yesterday, a minus 27, which is a big, big, big number. And Jason, you were uh, just real quickly, you were talking about Mark Williams not playing well against UNC the first time and playing much better last night. I think that just to sing some more praise about him, he, he's been learning on the job. And we've seen that over the last few weeks where every single time there's a challenge in front of him, he may not pass that test on that night, but he's learning from it. And he's clearly taking uh, the lessons that he's learned from previous games and applying them to the opponent that he has in front of him. So it was good to see some of the things that he didn't do well against UNC. He was able to be successful at last night. Yes, very well stated. Sam, what, what do you have for good? Well, if we want to talk about bit roles, I actually think that that <laughs> despite me clowning on him a little bit, Patrick Tapay was not great in this game, but was more serviceable in the couple of minutes that he did play than I thought he would be capable of, given a season of mostly sitting on the bench. I did want to zoom out and talk about the effort, because Jason, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to disagree with you in the way you characterized your headline. I actually don't think effort was Duke's problem last night. I think the game plan was wrong. And and I don't know how deep that goes, but it felt to me like there was almost too much effort being put in, especially on offense, where I think there was a lot of forcing shots and there were bad shots. We will talk about that, I think, a lot in, in the bad section, which is not to say that the Duke players were not trying to to win this game. They were definitely hyped up at the beginning of the game. They were wearing the uniforms that everyone thinks are the freaking coolest uniforms that, that Duke has ever worn. And they were fired up to, to potentially win this game. They knew their season was on the line effectively. They're now, as you said, going to have to win the ACC championship to make the NCAA tournament. And they knew all of that was happening. I just wasn't sure that all the players knew what to do with all of that energy. So there was maybe even too much energy. I thought that the team came out motivated and they wanted to play well. They just didn't know how. And and that a lot of the mistakes, especially on defense, came from them being out of position as opposed to being out of focus. So I, I would like to praise the energy and the effort from the team last night, even if there was some disconnect between all of that energy and effort and where the game plan was and that the guys were not actually standing in the places or running to the spots that they were supposed to be. It is really interesting that you note that because Coach K in the postgame news conference uh, was very clear in saying, I let the team down. They were not, I did not have them prepared for this game. I did not have them prepared for what Carolina was going to do. Um, and and it, Coach K was very, I thought it was very interesting in the postgame news conference. He was very subdued. He, he was not particularly upset like I've seen him you see him sometimes when he's a little bit prickly when he when he's you know mad at, at either the team or, or the result or whatever he seemed quite resigned to what happened and and like I said he was putting it on himself more than he was on the team and I actually think that that observation of him being calm and also putting most of the blame on himself those two things go hand in hand because yes it's yes. very easy for a coach like we, we saw Jim Beheim blow up this week at a reporter about, oh, you don't know how to, because I think the reporter said that that Beheim should be playing some other guys who weren't getting minutes. And Beheim was like, you don't know anything about basketball or something. Yeah. Beheim Be- 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 picked on the guys. He was like, you're five, two. Yeah. Cause he's like, you're five, two or something, which, 
which I take yeah. a lot of offense to because Donald and I are definitely not <laughs> tall enough to be college basketball players. And Jason, hey, 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 I'm I'm the same height as Nate Robinson. I just can't yeah, same. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Nate Robinson and I are the same size. Therefore, I could be a professional basketball player. But Coach K, and and this is not specific to him. This is a lot of coaches. Jim Beheim does that. I mean, John Calipari does this. All these great coaches will get upset at, they'll find a way to take their anger out on a reporter, on a referee, on the fans, on whatever the situation, something that's external to the team. And Coach K last night clearly was not wanting to do that. I think he recognized that there was some deficiency in the team. And he was like, you know what? There's no need for me to to lash out about this because because this ultimately falls on me for not having the game plan in place. So I actually think that his demeanor and his assessment go hand in hand here. And it's not often that we're going to come on the show and say that Coach K had a bad plan, but I, I was thinking it last night watching the game and then he confirmed it. Uh, and, and that's not something that he that he normally does. That's not something that coaches normally do. They don't want to seem fallible. But he was like, look, we you know, we were in a tough situation. This UNC team was also very motivated. We're playing in their house. We're playing in front of fans. And even throughout the season where Duke wasn't playing in front of fans very often, I think it was probably very jarring to to be in that scenario. So, you know, the, all those all those different factors, I think, came to a head last night. And it's a, it's a bummer. It's really great. I think that Coach K recognized it, and perhaps he's able to to spark some fire under this team going into the tournament. I know that we're going to talk about that a little bit more later in the show, but at least he recognized it here, and, and hopefully that means that there are changes going forward, be they next week or next season. So, so I do have a little more good that I want to get to, uh, spe- specifically DJ Stewart, who, who was very assertive, I thought, looking for his shot, looking for angles to drive to the basket, unafraid to take it at the Carolina big men, which, I mean, DJ Stewart, not a big guy. <laughs> He's not Nate Robinson size, but he is not a big guy. And for him to take it in there against those trees and score the way he did was impressive. Um, he was, he was fearless. And for large stretches of the game, I thought he was easily our best offensive option. Um, this was the first time he hit more than half his shots since we played wake Forest, which seems like a century ago. But, uh, you know, I was I was kind of bummed because if we'd had this DJ Stewart against Georgia Tech or Louisville, we win either both of those games. Um, and, and DJ went through a little down period. And, and I'm really thrilled that he seems to be rising back up because I think that guy's going to be a hugely important part of what this team does going forward, not just this season, but but next season. Uh, and then the only other good thing I wanted to mention was it, it was it was nice. Michael Savarino and Keenan Worthington got it, got into the game. It's the first time they've played in their two years at Duke. So, so that was great for that first time they played this season, of course, and last year they redshirted. So really nice for those guys who, who work hard in practice. I know we don't talk about the walk-ons very much. Those guys are putting an effort at practice every single day, working to make the rest of the team better. And, and it's great when they get a chance to play, especially in a Duke Carolina game. I know the atmosphere isn't quite what it is when there's, you know, a full stadium as opposed to a 10% full or whatever it was, 25% full stadium. But I'm sure that they, they enjoyed their couple minutes uh, or 41 seconds actually in the game. Um, and, and actually also speaking of the bench and guys who don't play a lot, I thought Henry Coleman again fought hard and made a difference when he was in there. And he is one of these guys that I'm just dying to see his development happen because I know it's going to happen for him at some point. It may take a couple of years, but I thought Henry Coleman had good effort as well. 
Any other good guys or shall we move on to the vegetables? Veggie time, gentlemen. Um, uh, Donald, you said you wanted to go first when we got to the veggies, so I'll let you begin. What, what you got for me on the bad? So there's quite a bit that we'll probably discuss, but I wanted to start with this. This was the Duke-Carolina game. This was the game, the rivalry, the biggest rivalry in college basketball, one of the biggest rivalries in American sports. And we came out flat. We came out, what I felt like we came out was uninspired. That was the word that I used to describe it. And you just cannot, we didn't have the, we didn't have the, the intensity that UNC had. Of course, UNC was their senior night. They were at home. They've started all seniors uh, or mostly almost all seniors and, you know, had the little thing where, you know, guys who rarely play got to start the game and had a crowd, about 3000 people. They had energy. And the one thing that we talked about before this, one thing that Cassius talked about when we had him on earlier this week was that the energy needed to be there and that the fans could give it to you, but you have to have the energy for this game, especially. And for us to come out flat and uninspired was shocking. Um, And it really cost us, I mean, from the opening tip because they came out and they had a 10 point lead before their real starters checked into the game. And once that happened, then we were, we were done with, and we couldn't answer anything that they do. Everything they did had intensity written on it and, 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 and supporting it. And we didn't. And that was the difference in this game. If we come with match the intensity that they have, that effort and that, you know, the, the focus may, may still have been off, but the effort was there. Like you guys said, I thought the fight in the second half was there, but by then it didn't matter. And that was especially disheartening for, I'm sure for a lot of Duke fans, that we came out flat in the one game that you're not supposed to come out flat for. Yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, Sam, do you disagree with Don? Uh, it sounds to me as I moderate this discussion, <laughs> it sounds like Donald is really disagreeing with you regarding effort. Yeah. I, I, Donald, I didn't see it that way. And, mm-hmm. and the, the stuff that I wanted to focus on was more, was more specific. You mentioned that Duke was already down by 10 points when the, UNC, you know, walk-on senior type guys had left the floor. Which, and, by the way, drives me crazy. I I hate it when that happens. You want to take advantage of that and we exa- didn't like, at all. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, whether or not you agree with Roy Williams about that being a worthwhile effort, like putting in the walk-ons to start the game and then pulling them out at the first opportunity, you have to take advantage of it as the opposing team. Like, there's no there's no excuse for that. And that that was tough for me to see. I think that going back to my point in the good section that I actually disagree with you, Donald, that energy was the problem here. I think it was that the Duke players didn't know what to do and maybe it did throw them off that the UNC seniors were out there. I don't know how it could. Cause again, going back to we the knew game it was point, coming. everyone knows that that's what Roy Williams does. He does it every season and mm-hmm. these games are always against Duke. So, so this, this should not come as a surprise, but Duke players from the tip, weren't sure, one, where to pass the ball on offense. I think Jason's going to talk a lot about how bad the the passing was and how Duke was penetrating when they shouldn't have, passing out from the paint in in places where they shouldn't have. And, and I want to come back and let Jason talk about this a little bit. But then the other place where Duke seemed to not know what was going on from the jump was on the defensive end where Carolina was having big men all their big men, and there are, it seems like there are like 15 different big men for UNC, having all their big men find themselves open very close to the basket 
repeatedly. So Duke was not either not switching or not knowing what the switching pattern was to allow Carolina to have the ball enter the post without much um without Duke putting up much effort against them. We talked about Mark Williams being a high point on offense on defense. He, he seemed to lose his man a lot and he was not the only one. Yeah. So uh, let me, let me respond briefly. I think, I think we're on the same page when it comes to energy, but I'm, I'm trying to separate energy and intensity. The energy we had was bouncing off the walls, excitement. The intensity they had was focus, strength, physicality, all those other intangibles that are always present in a Duke UNC game, we'd never match that. And I think that was the difference. I, I think that makes sense. And it's like, it, it, it's, it is a matter of focus. Jason, I want to send it back to you because I, I know you want to talk about the passing and we can look at, I, I think you could frame it this way and maybe you'll do it another way, but look at the opportunities that Matt Hurt had in the first half and be like, where, what was the Duke offense designed for if it wasn't for Matt Hurt to get open shots either in the mid-range or from three? Well, uh, so uh, I'm going to address the Matt Hurt thing in in a second. Um, In terms of the passing, and I don't think this is just something that we saw against UNC. This is something that we've noticed all year long, and and it really was crystallized to me in the Carolina game. Um, Duke had 16 assists on 28 made baskets, which is a fine ratio, but we are still not a good team at creating opportunities for baskets with our passing. We dribble too much. Um, when we pass the ball, it's really a, a long pass. It's really a pass that forces the defense to adjust. We typically, when we're dribbling, when we make a pass, it's we're dribbling in a direction and then we pass to continue going in that direction. Like this team rarely, watch the game. Folks, go back and watch some games if you want. This Duke team rarely reverses direction with the ball. Uh, we do a lot of handoff. A lot of our passes are, are just handoffs to guys. And all of it makes us easy to guard. The defense sort of sees where the action's going. They adjust to it. They keep moving with it. And then Duke maybe comes back the other way slowly. But we don't move the ball around. We don't make cuts. We don't make passes in a way that forces the defense to suddenly move quickly and forces the defense perhaps to get out of shape. It is really easy to guard Duke. It is easy to stay in your defensive shape against this Duke team. And it was absolutely crystal clear against Carolina. And Sam, you mentioned Matthew Hurt. It felt like Duke did a good job of getting three-pointers from Matthew Hurt. He he didn't hit him. Not at all. The guy was two of 10 from three, and he had a lot of open threes. I don't know why. It's like Duke completely abandoned Matthew Hurt's mid-range game. I think part of it is Carolina is so big and physical that Hurt most season, most of the time, is shooting over a guy who's smaller than he is, or he's or he's play, if he's playing a guy who's his size, it's a guy who's smaller than him, uh, not smaller, but not as quick as him. And so he's able to, to get to the angles he wants to get his shots. Matthew Hurt barely took non-three-pointers in this game. Uh, there were just there was not a lot of Duke getting the ball to Hurt in the post in the mid-game, um, which is a place he has absolutely excelled. He, he didn't do it at all against Carolina, and th- it was a huge problem. Our, our offense was atrocious as a result. Jason, when we were texting each other during the game last night, and, and some of my friends when I was texting with them said the same thing that you mentioned, is that all the passes seemed to be like no more than three or four feet. There was no skip passing. There's no, like you said, nothing where, the, where uh, you know, if, if people can visualize out there, uh, offense looking at one or defense looking in one direction and having to shift their whole bodies over to the other direction 
where there's two guys waiting in the wings to either shoot or drive and just throwing those guys off, uh, off kilter. Uh, there wasn't any of that. It was just very quick, short passes. And when you do that, all you do is just bunch up defenders where one defender can control, can guard two guys. And that's, that's what you don't want to do in a motion offense. And, and, and I'll tell you, it all started literally on our very first possession of the game. I think it was either first or second. I think it was our first possession of the game. Jeremy Roach got into the lane and the Carolina help defense came and there was an easy opportunity for him to toss the ball up and have Mark Williams get a slam dunk basket. It would have given it. Would, I remember the score was zero, zero. It would have given Duke a lead. It would have gotten Mark Williams off to a good start. It, it was it was so there for him that I was sure it was what he was going to do. And instead, he took a shot, um, which uh, didn't even come close to going in. I think it might have been deflected and it came back to him or something like that. But uh, and, and we ended up having a bad possession as a result. But it, to me, it again, it crystallized this aspect of Duke's passes. Don't put the defense in a bad position. Jeremy Roach had a chance, and I, again, I thought he was going to do it. He had a chance to make an easy pass to Mark Williams that Mark would have slammed, uh, and instead, the ball was moving in all kinds of crazy directions, and Duke got nothing, and, you know. If you want to put a hopeful spin on this, there is a view of this game where, you know, th- this is going to be one of Duke's last games of the season. You know, they, they play Boston College this week. It is unlikely that they are going to play in a postseason environment after the ACC tournament. So th- this is going to be one of the last looks we get at Duke. And this is also one of the last opportunities for them to make game film. There is so much teachable material in this, <laughs> in this game. And I think it starts on the, on the offensive end where, as you said, Jason, Duke isn't making creative passes. They're not forcing the defense to, to move their eyes around. They're not, uh, in, they're not making defenders have to stay on guys who aren't on the, you know, on the primary side of the ball. And there's going to be a ton of work in the offseason. I bet you'll hear a lot about Jeremy Roach, DJ Stewart, these guys improving their court vision over the offseason and learning how to look in a lot of different directions when they're coming downhill because Duke is Duke was this season very good at stealing the ball. They were good at at causing disruption, not so much in this game, but generally speaking, they would get downhill and then not really know what to do with it, either in the fast break or when they're setting up the secondary break and and setting up the half-court offense rarely did we find that that duke was comfortable setting you know setting a, an offense up and and moving the ball around either in the interior or or around the perimeter in a way that that would frustrate and confuse a defense uh, you know that kind of brings me to the outside shooting because i thought we did get some decent looks from 3 um but uh, joey baker jamin breakfield and especially matt hurt like th- these guys were struggling to hit rim we were, it's not like balls were rattling out. We, we had, you know, reasonably open threes that were air balls that were hitting the side of the rim, just didn't look like they were at all close. And the thing I want to talk about regarding the outside shooting, it is unreal how much teams have great outside shooting games against us. I don't know if it's bad luck or if we're just not good at guarding, but early on the first half Carolina, everything Carolina threw up went in. I mean, not just talking three pointers, Garrison Brooks hit an off balance 20 footer with a hand in his face, you know, like falling out of bounds from the, uh, you know, no chance on that shot. Nothing but net. He he banked in a shot from the top of the key. Caleb Love was hitting threes uh, against. I, I got I got Caleb Love stat for you against teams not named Duke 
on this season, Caleb Love hit 20.2% from three-point range. Against every other team not named Duke, 20.2%. Against Duke, he hit 55% of his threes in the season. In this game against us, UNC hit 44.4% of their threes. They hit 67% of their last game. This Carolina team is a horrible, horrible outside shooting team. And they just light us up. In the three games before they played us, they hadn't hit more than 25% in a single game. And against us, they hit 44%. This is a Carolina team. They shoot less than 25% from three more often than they eclipse 25%. Let's be clear, like 30, 33%. That's like, you know, usually your standard. This Carolina team usually struggles, usually does not hit more than 25%. Against Duke, 67 and 44. In fact, we are two of the three best games Carolina had all season shooting from three. And coming into this game, in the preview, I said 33% was the key, that Duke had to get to 33% of our three-pointers to have a chance. We hit 18.5%. Not a surprise. And guys, you ready for this? This is going to sound insane. As badly as Carolina dominated us, if Duke had had an average game from three, for us, average is 35%. If Carolina had had an average game from three, for them, average is right at 30%. Duke would have hit four more three-pointers. Carolina would hit three less. That's a 21-point swing, and Duke would have won the game 85 to 82. Now, look, I know it doesn't technically work that way, but, but what I'm telling you is if Duke was average and Carolina was average from three, this would have been a really, really close competitive game. It's, it's, just, it's so frustrating. And I don't know, this team, I, I don't understand how they can – how they can consistently give up big games to the opposition. We've seen it again and again and again and again. Even bad three-point shooting teams like Miami and like UNC just bomb away from us. It's, it's crazy. And meanwhile, while giving up uh, you know, a high shooting percentage, there's also a, a lack of attention to detail for Duke in the passing lanes in this game. I think in, in other games, it's actually been better. And there was a weird fall off in this one in, for Duke in terms of keeping track of Carolina players running around sort of behind the defense. I thought there were a lot of entry passes that Duke would normally steal that, that went right into UNC hands and ended up in the basket soon after that. So the, again, going back to teachable moments, I, I think that the, the, on the floor defense in in this one was one of Duke's worst in recent memory. This is actually one of the things that I thought the Blue Devils had improved upon throughout the season and and were doing better in recent weeks, and which has now fallen off during this little losing streak. So that Caleb Love stat that you had, Jason, was indicative of the entire team. During the broadcast last night, they had graphics several times during the game where it said, UNC against Duke was shooting 55% from three, and against everyone else in the ACC, they were shooting 26%. Uh, from three during those games. So it it was indicative. Remember when I said I didn't want to hear Kerwin Walton's name? I heard his name a lot last night. And a lot. He had 18 points. Caleb Love had 18 points. And, you know, he hit his first two threes. And I think three of us were just like, like, what are we going to like? What are we going to do if he's going to hit threes again? Like if this is going to be the case. But I think when it comes to it also down the stretch, when we were starting to try, try and work our way back into this game, uh, when we were trying to get it down, you know, to like 15, 12 points, my friends were texting me and they're like, why aren't we shooting a three? Why aren't we trying to attempt threes? I'm like, it doesn't matter if we don't make them. And we weren't making them last night. And because of that, one of the things that is usually our strengths for Duke, like when we shoot ourselves back into games is from beyond the arc because we can catch up very quickly. Uh, the fact that we weren't able to do that 
meaning we had to rely on going inside to tackle the trees that they have, it made for a frustrating experience the entire night. So, so the last bad thing that I want to mention, um, and, and I hate to hate to put this on the guys, I got to talk about leadership. Um, Coach K, in the postgame, I got a chance to ask a question to Coach K. Usually in the postgame, <laughs> I don't get a chance to ask questions. They, they call on certain other reporters, but I got a chance to ask a question to Coach K. And I've actually been dying to ask him this for the past several games. I said, Coach, unless I missed it, there are no official captains on this team. Uh, you know, is, is, there a, is there maybe a lack of on-court leadership? And Coach K said, well, no. He said, we have what we refer to as a leadership team comprised of the four non-freshmen. He referred to them as upperclassmen. But, but as far as he's concerned, Matthew Hurt, Joey Baker, Wendell Moore, and Jordan Goldwire are the leadership team. And he said, that's a very common thing in organizations nowadays. You don't need captains. You have a leadership team. Um, I, you know, look, Co- Coach K... Coach K knows how to put together a team and how to structure them. And he, he knows organizational structures and things like that. He's a smart man who's written numerous books about leadership. Uh, I, I, I think it seems to me like this team doesn't have much of a leader on the floor. That sounds like deflecting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be more direct about it because I don't think coach K believes what he's saying there. And if, (laughs) if that's the case, look, if that if that was a way to, to run the organization, then why has he been appointing captains for forty years of his career? I mean, look, he was in the army. The army doesn't have he a knows leadership how this committee. Works. Yeah, yeah, they have and, hierarchy. And there is something to be said in an organ. I, I I did just graduate from business school, so this is like all the kind of stuff that we <laughs> think about and talk about. But there is something to be said for you know getting a diverse set of opinions and bringing a lot of people to the table to make decisions in an organization. A basketball team does not have to work like that. A basketball team needs one game plan to go meet one objective. And, and there does not need to be, you know, this sort of nebulous leadership structure. It's a very firm leadership structure. It's not a, it's not an organization that is trying to come up with wildly creative solutions to problems that, that only they are dealing with. Right. And so I, I think Coach K is deflecting there and he's probably realizing in, in the course of answering that question, Jason, just like he was realizing that there was something off about the game plan for this game. Also realizing that maybe this was not the way to handle this season and, and this season in particular, where it was especially hard to motivate guys because you don't have them in the room as much. You didn't have them on campus as early as you would like. They're all kind of living in a, in a space that, that's a little foreign to them. So I think the lack of leadership on this team is actually a really good point and something that it was pervasive throughout the season. If, if Duke has, I'll, I'll give it to you in a hypothetical or like a sort of hypothetical question. If Duke has a more defined leadership system in this on this team this season, does Jalen Johnson leave the team? I don't know. And and like as we've said before, we don't know all the details of the Jalen Johnson situation, but th- there wasn't a it didn't feel like there was the kind of accountability on this team that there have been on previous Duke teams. And and there is something interesting about, and I don't know what it is, but something interesting about the fact that Jalen Johnson announced he's leaving the team. The little comments that we got from his teammates basically said, we support him. Good luck. See you later, which is all well and good. And I'm, and I'm glad that, you know, it seems like they're all still friends and, and whatever, but there is something to be said for leaving the team right when things are getting tough, where you would think that the rest of the guys would be like, Hey man, you know, step up still fighting. Like, yeah. We're, yeah. We're still, we're still out here battling. We, yeah. We've still got opportunities here. So again, because we don't know all the details, I can't exactly assess that. 
but but I do think that there's a version of the story here that that goes that way. And you know when leadership is going to be very important right now when we're about to yeah. enter ACC tournament where we need to win five games in five days. It didn't matter how many games and how many days, X games and next days, whatever that is, the leadership over the last you know part of the season is always what separates the great teams from the elite and the good from the mediocre. And right now we have to figure out where those leaders are going to come from and they need to step up because if they want to have continue their season, they have to win the rest of their games every single day. And that takes leadership to prepare them for what they're about to experience in Greensboro at the ACC tournament. Well, the last thing I'll say about the leadership thing is if it would not be difficult for coach K to have announced for Duke to have put out a press release for them to have a, a news conference or something where they say, by the way, the, the captains are these four players, or we're not going to call them captains this year. We're going to call them the leadership team, but for them to announce and formalize this. The fact that in the last game of the season, I had to ask the question and, and, and Coach K had this sort of weird answer um, sort of speaks to me to how much these players are functioning like a captain normally functions, how much they are taking the leadership responsibilities. Ordinarily, Duke puts out a press release Every single season of Coach K's career up until now, Duke has put out a press release where it has been starkly defined. These are the captains on the team. And in fact, quite often what they'll do is, you know, at some point in the season, they'll add someone to the captaincy. Last year, Justin Robinson got added at a certain point where they said, this person is now also one of the captains of the team. Or they remove. Yes. And that's happened as well. Yeah. The fact that it never happened in any form this season until in the last game, I asked Coach K a question and he gave some leadership team answer, again, speaks volumes to the degree to which these folks are functioning the way the great captains of Duke past have functioned. So it's, it's, it's a concern. It's a problem. And, uh, and, and it's manifest itself over and over and over again this season for this Duke team. And it's one of the reasons we are sitting at 500. And we could be honestly like, not to belabor point or also to really like put blame on the players. Like some guys aren't leaders. Some guys just don't have that innately in them and some, it needs to be taught and it needs to grow and they need to be able to, you know, let it blossom. You know, Shane may not have been a captain his freshman year, but he, but he played like one, he acted like one. And that's why he was able to take that. Some guys, you know, Grace Allen, for example, was not, you know, outspoken. He wasn't a guy. He had to grow into that role. And he had to grow into that opportunity to be a captain. And, and maybe we have a guy, a bunch of guys on the team that will eventually grow into that role. It just is unfortunate that it doesn't seem like one has blossomed this year. And, and maybe next year we're training, we're grooming a couple of these freshmen that they are going to be the guys that kind of take the leadership role or they, or they accept that challenge. Uh, and that's what you know we'll see in the off season, uh, or even the rest of the season, and then into the off season, who emerges to take that challenge. Well, as we have alluded to on this uh, podcast, the ACC tournament is coming up next. Duke uh, needs to win a bunch of games <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna have any hope of playing in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and it all begins with a game against Boston College on Tuesday afternoon. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll give you a preview of that contest. Stay with us.
All right, Duke fans, we're back and we got to look ahead to the ACC tournament. It begins on Tuesday for the Duke Blue Devils. We'll be playing Boston College in the afternoon. Um, and uh, we will do our usual way of doing the previews. BC, uh, you know, just because they're the worst team in the ACC doesn't mean we should take them lightly. Uh, Donald, let me start with you. Give me a little rundown of what the BC season has been like. Um, this is a team that has won exactly one game since Joe Biden became president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they haven't played a lot of games because they've been so racked by COVID, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're four and fifteen on the season and went two and eleven this year in the ACC. We played them back on January sixth. That was an eighty-three to eighty-two victory for us, uh, and they have gone two and seven since then. They had two separate COVID pauses and they lost their coach. Uh, but uh, and in conference play, they only have wins to Miami and Notre Dame. They lost their coach or their coach lost them. Yes. I think, I think the answer is yes. Um, needless to say, it has been a, you know, a very bad season for the Boston college Eagles. Uh, I think we, I think I recall us uh, discussing them a couple months ago when we were about to play them. And we said, Hey, this will be the last time that you, we discuss Boston college on this podcast. Needless to say, we were incorrect in that prediction. We are talking about them now, but I will go back to that game on January 6th when we played them. We first 20 turnovers. We won the rebounding battle. And in that, we had 19 offensive rebounds. And we got to the line. We were 15 of 25, so that percentage should go up. But we were able to be successful at getting to the line, even though C.J. Felder killed us. And I know Sam will talk about him in a second. But really, when you look at this game, this is the start of one game at a time. We, there's no looking ahead because if you look ahead, our season's over. That's how this works. So don't worry about who's ahead of us, the five games in five days, whether we're making the NCAA tournament, don't worry about any of that. All we have to do is worry about taking care of business against Boston College and just making sure that we leave no doubt. Put it out there, leave no doubt. This is a team that we should beat. This is a team that is, that is weaker than us. Let's go out and beat them, leave no doubt, so that we can rest guys, and then we can start looking ahead. But we can't do that until we take care of business on Tuesday afternoon. Let's go ahead and do that. And, and I will make a pledge. We are not going to mention who Duke would potentially play if we beat Boston College. The, the name of that team shall not be spoken on this podcast. I am making that pledge to you right now. <laughs> let me, let me. I was about to do it and, and give you a, give you a Duke's walk through the, <laughs> no, uh -uh. the tournament and just uh -uh. tell you how improbable it is that Duke is going to reach the ACC championship. <laughs> we got no, one game. No, no, no. We're, we we're got not one game doing that. on Tuesday. Yes, we are. We are focusing one game at a time. That is that is our pledge. That's what the that's what the team needs to do. So that's what we need to do. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about BC from the standpoint of, um, you know, the advanced stats, the advanced metrics on them. Uh, you know, like like Donald mentioned, by the way, <laughs> one thing that just jumped out at me. Um, this is a team that uh, has had COVID just going through the team left and right all season long. They've played 19 games. There is not a single player on the team who has appeared in all 19 games. <laughs> uh, they have two guys who played in 18 games, but they have, they've had guys missing from games numerous times all season long. And Sam, I'm sure, is going to get into that a little bit more when he discusses the specific players. Um, the, 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 this BC team is not even in the top 100 in Ken Palm. They are a terrible defensive team, ranked 183rd in Ken Palm. They are one of the 10 or so worst teams in the country at two-point field goal defense. They basically, they don't really try to stop you from getting the ball close to the basket and taking good shots. They are going to let you score on them. Um, 
So we should take advantage of that <laughs> on offense. This BC team is all about shooting three pointers. And if you want to, you know, map out a way that Duke loses this game, it's that BC goes crazy from three um, close to 50%, almost half of their field goal attempts are three pointers and their three point field goal rate is the 18th highest in the country. That's, you know, percentage of threes compared to percentage of twos, 18th highest in the country. They're, they're okay at hitting them. You know, they're, they hit slightly more than a third of their threes. You know, that's right around the national average. They're not bad at it. They're not great at it, but it's probably smart for them to take a lot of threes because when they take two point shots, they tend to get their shot blocked. Uh, they're, they're one of the, one of the highest, you know, shots blocked rates in the country. Mark Williams may have a real field day against what is a relatively small team there. They, they've, you know, got guys who are like six, eight, six, nine, no one taller than six, nine. And, and the last thing I would mention about them is, um, if you look sort of at how a team performs game to game uh, in terms of advanced metrics, uh, their second best game of the year, their best game of the year was the huge 22 point win they had at home against Miami. Their second best game of the year was the one point loss they had in Cameron against Duke. Um, so basically the BC that we saw was about as good as they can play. Uh, and that was a team that, again, we, we only beat them by one, but um, you know, that's, if you're thinking that's the BC we're going to play, the odds are pretty good. We're not going to get that BC. And Sam, one of the reasons we're not going to get that BC is because who knows who's going to play for this team. I mean, this team. Yeah, there's <laughs> been a lot of a lot of turnover here. Uh, last time Duke played Boston College, Winston Tabs played 25 minutes. He has transferred since Duke last played them. Jim Christian, of course, is out. He's the head coach, or he was the head coach the first time around. He's gone from the Duke side. It's interesting. Because before I get to the rest of the Boston College turnover, it's interesting from the Duke perspective that we would look back at this game and say, oh, this is actually fairly similar because this is one of the games earlier in the season where we didn't have Jalen Johnson. But the outcome of the first game uh, in terms of like the the way the players broke down and stuff, probably going to be very different from this game. Mark Williams only played six minutes against Boston College the first time around. I imagine he's playing 25 minutes in this game if, if Duke has any chance of winning uh, and and elsewhere around the Duke lineup. I think there's just been, there've been a lot of tweaks since, since Duke played Boston college back in December, a couple other guys to highlight for BC. First, I'll talk about the guys who we already have seen this year. CJ Felder. I think Donald mentioned up front is, is key for Boston college. He's their best three point shooter. And he was four for six from three against Duke the first time around. So that is the guy that that Duke wants to be able to bottle up. I assume you're going to see Jordan Goldwire on him trying to get the ball out of his hands and and disrupting the offense that occurs around CJ Felder. There's another guy who Duke did not see the first time around. And that was Frederick Scott. And he's come back for BC. He's played in their last few games and has been uh, actually somewhat effective for them. So that that's a, a new player for Boston College that, that Duke is going to have to deal with. I think, though, that the... <laughs> What's funny is that is that this game is going to look so differently um, from the way it was the first time around because there are so many changes on on both sides for these teams. As you guys have mentioned, Boston College does not measure up talent-wise to Duke. Duke should be able to beat them by more than the one point that they won by the in the first game, but we'll see what happens. I do foresee a little bit of motivational concern for the Blue Devils in this one where that UNC game was pretty deflating and... And there could be a, a sense that, look, that this season has gone on long enough. We've played a lot more games than we expected to. 
Uh, I don't know if I, I talked about how excited I was about that back when we talked about the good from this game is Duke played a lot of games this season and I did not think Duke was going to complete as many games as they did, but the team definitely, you know, they, they know the opportunities that they've missed out on. So um, I'm wondering what version of Duke we see come out on Tuesday, because as we're not supposed to talk about, but I'll, I'll give you the very quick preview of it is a hard road for Duke to get from this first game against Boston college to an ACC championship. And, and the players know that that's ahead of them. So we'll see. As an aside, the stats game is going to be completely screwed. I think we've said that a couple of times, but I just want to reaffirm. I'm, I am avoiding that, bringing it up right now because that I is, want it to be ooh, a boy. full one. Look, we know that we're probably going to be doing that recap very soon here, much sooner than we usually do it. And yeah, it's going to be a bloodbath. You're right. It's it's not going to be easy for Duke. And and I don't, you know, we don't want to look ahead too much, but it is worth mentioning the ACC is not murderer's row this year. As we know, the conference is not, that strong. And there was something I noticed yesterday that I don't want to point out to people just really quick. And, and they, they did mention this on the broadcast for the game, but, but I wanted us to highlight it anyway, um, because they mentioned it late in the broadcast and people may have tuned out by then. <laughs> the Wooden Award finalists were mentioned and uh, were released yesterday. And there were no Dukies on the list. It was the first time since 2007 that there has not been a Duke player among the finalists for the Wooden Award. It wasn't just that there wasn't a Duke player. There wasn't a single ACC player on the list. Uh, first time, I think, in the history of the Wooden Award that they've been announcing finalists, that there was no ACC player among the finalists. And as you look across the conference, like, who would be? Uh, I guess, I actually think Matthew Hurt is probably the guy who's the closest to being a finalist for, that, for an award like that. Um, there, I mean, there are a few, there are a few outstanding players in the conference this year. I think UVA has sure. got a couple guys, Louisville, obviously with Carlick Jones, um, Justin Champagne, yeah, Justin Champagne at, at, at Pittsburgh. So there are like the ACC first, all ACC first team this year is all going to be guys who were like, yep, those dudes are awesome, but they're not matching they're not up a, with, but I don't think any of them are among the top 15 in the country. And that's no, that's and not against the, those top guys from the big 10, not against those top guys from Gonzaga. The, the, the best teams this year in college basketball are not in the ACC and it's not close. Right. So, but, so I point this out because yes, Duke has a tough road, um, but it's not, it's not impossible. There's no team that I, 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 and I truly believe this as I look at Duke's path through the ACC, there's no one in the ACC that I go, I, I just think we can't be that. Well, maybe, maybe we can't win because we aren't consistent enough, but if Duke plays our game, if we play well, which we have done at times this season, this Duke team is capable of beating anyone in the ACC. So I, I, I want to be really clear about that. So uh, just as, just as a personal aside, I think when you come to the wooden award, we, for those of you out there, we like had to do this research and trying to figure out, cause we, went down a kind of a rabbit hole of the wooden award of when uh, the last time we didn't have a player on, uh, on the 15, the finalist roster. Uh, so it was 2006, 2017, but that's as far as the list went back. If we had gone back to say maybe 1995, I, I don't think there have been any other ones because 2007 was one 2000. Basically we had that run from 1996 to 2006, where we had probably somebody in the mix every single time. And even 1995 was probably like the last. So like, if you think about 30 years of wooden award finalists, there's probably only two years out there where we don't have, or three years now uh, where we don't have someone on that list, which is pretty incredible. It, it's a testament to the talent that has been in Durham consistently year after year after year 
And, and sadly, it's a statement about maybe, you know, the talent that isn't quite there this year. But guys, b- before we go, uh, we do have to do player of the week, um, a, a week in which Duke lost two games. But, uh, but in my opinion, there was some guy, I, I, I suspect both you guys are going to have the same name that I have. Sam, I'll start with you. Who's your player of the week? I guess I'm giving it to Mark Williams. Is that the, is that the, is that the most half-hearted endorsement of, of a player of the week candidate? Well, what do you mean you guess you're giving it to Mark Williams? Dude was nine of nine from the field against, against Georgia. I I, I think that the, the, the shooting is that like the offense is there. Mark Williams has, has proven to us that, that he is capable in that regard. The defense against Carolina would give me pause that, yeah, and, and and look, we know going into this game, who didn't give me pause against this was like, this was going to be this was going to be a hard game for, and in particular, a hard game for Mark Williams because Duke does not have UNC size. Next year, Duke does get a little bit bigger because they're going to bring in um, Paulo Bancaro and, and AJ Griffin, who are not you know back to the basket bigs or anything, but they're both bigger guys. So I think Duke does get bigger next season, and and that'll help Mark Williams deal with. Dayron Sharp and Walker Kessler and Armando Baycott and just the list. I'm sure UNC is going to end up recruiting three more big men out of this high school class, even though they don't have any committed right now. They'll just go <laughs> find more big men. But but Mark Williams' defense was not good against UNC. So I like I don't like giving a, a player of the week award to somebody who who would was at one end of the floor, really not helpful in in the most important game of the season. But look down the line who who performed you know well for duke in both of these games it certainly wasn't matthew hurt so uh and 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 wasn't any of the other guys that that would have had outstanding even out of character performances so i guess it's it's mark williams but i'm not thrilled about it i'm i'm going to give a more full blooded endorsement of mark williams for player of the week he was already he was going to be my player of the week nothing had changed in the last minute that sam said but he was i think to me he's the clear player of the week he played well on offense uh, even on defense, you know, his stats may not have been there, but especially against Georgia Tech, he altered a lot of shots uh, that doesn't show up on a stat sheet, but you could tell that he was active uh, on both ends of the floor. I think everyone had a had a bad night on defense against UNC, so uh, it's hard to kind of put blame at him for that. But uh, I, I think when it comes to Mark Williams, we have seen, like I said, he takes the lessons that he learns from these games and applies them to the following game, and he's been doing that very consistently. And this week, he had a career high on on Tuesday against Georgia Tech. And like I said, the only reason he didn't have one against UNC is because he scored two more points against Georgia Tech. So that is absolutely uh, my player of the week. And and he should be proud of the week that he had. It's just unfortunate that it came during two bad losses. I, I will also take Mark Williams as my player of the week. I'm sure you can see this coming. Dude was 16 of 19 from the field. And Sam, I want to push back a little tiny bit on the defensive thing because I, I don't feel like Carolina's big men schooled Mark Williams a lot. Um, I thought he played pretty well against them. And and it's worth pointing out, we in the preview for the Carolina game, we talked about Carolina just tossing the ball up there and grabbing offensive rebounds. Uh, that They're a team that grabs more than 40% of their offensive rebounds. Against Duke, they, they actually struggled. They did not have a great – they got less than 30% of their offensive rebounds. And, and a lot of that was Mark Williams boxing his guy out, keeping you know big guys like Daron Sharp and Walker Kessler off the boards – uh, and and letting other guys on Duke grab rebounds as a result, I thought Mark Williams had had a pretty good had a pretty good day. So it's it's worth honoring him as Player of the Week. I know yours was lukewarm. Mine is not. I'm enthusiastic uh, about giving Mark Williams Player of the Week. I'm very week. enthusiastic about Mark Williams 
in 2000 in the 2021 yes. 2022 as you season, have said yes. oh yeah getting lots of player of the week awards <laughs> i i foresee that happening a lot so so don't don't uh mince my words as as i'm down on mark williams overall and very excited about mark williams hey very last thing before we go we got a little bit of breaking news here uh and it has to do with a barber apparently ben simmons and joel Embiid. we're, we're going to the nba now folks ben simmons and joel Embiid went and got their haircut and the barber that they got their haircut from got covid or is like being covid traced or something like that so those guys are out of the all-star game sam announced the breaking duke news that happens because Joel Embiid is out of the All-Star game. I was just looking through my Twitter while we were talking here, and it says from uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, the the great uh, NBA news... We got a Woj bomb. The the NBA (laughs) newsbreaker says that Zion Williamson is replacing Joel Embiid on Team Durant as the starter. So that is is coming out just after 12.30 on Sunday, and uh, that... That game is coming up tonight, and we're excited about it. So good for Zion. He's a, he's an all star starter. That's amazing. I, I'm so I'm so happy for him. Like you know, we talked about before, like how his seasons was going to go, how you know his career is going to go. So far, it's it's almost exceeded our wildest expectations, which he's is hard amazing. to believe because he's that amazing, uh, and we knew that beforehand. So uh, to see him start, and, and we can get into the specifics of whether this all star game should have happened. It probably shouldn't have, but. I am glad that it will take focus and center on uh, some some well needed charities, uh, HBCUs as well, uh, focusing on on raising money and awareness for them. Uh, so that is a good aspect of things, and we'll get to see Cassius tonight in the All Star uh, in the dunk contest. Uh, we'll, you know, a couple guys. I think Jason Tatum is in the three point contest. Uh, so or, or, is, or is I think he's in there, but. Correct. If it's wrong, whatever. He's going to be playing. I know that's for sure. Uh, so we, we could see a lot of Duke representation uh, in this all-star festivities that are going on tonight. So I'm really excited for it. Yeah, there are three Dukies in the game. Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, and Zion Williamson all playing in the game. Cassius Stanley participating in the three-point contest. I'm sorry, in the uh, slam dunk contest. Uh, so yeah, it, it's going to be a Dukie-filled evening. If you're feeling a little bit down about the current Blue Devils, you can watch some former Blue Devils performing in the all-star game i'm sure i am certain there are going to be some ridiculous dunks tonight both in the contest and in the regular game because that's what all-star games seem to always zion attempts a 360 during the game prediction mark it down yes i agree that is virtually certain to happen and that's going to wrap it up for us here on the latest edition of the duke basketball report podcast stick with us we're going to be back immediately following that boston college game to tell you all about it and to hopefully preview what comes next for the Blue Devils. Uh, Until then, for Donald and Sam, I am Jason. Thanks for being with us. Send us those emails, like and subscribe, do all that jazz. You know the email address, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We we love to read them and we talk about them when we get them. And, uh, you know, also leave us those reviews, five-star reviews. We're going to be looking for those as well. We're going to need off-season content, people. (laughs) But the off-season isn't here yet. We got more Duke Blue Devil games coming up very soon. It is time for us to say goodbye, though, and for the Duke band, play us out and take us home. Veggie time, gentlemen.